Our theme verse, the last couple of messages as well as this morning and a few more to go is Ephesians 5, really looking at an entire section from verse 3 down to verse 14 or so, just the theme verse being verse 3, that no immorality should be named among us, and we need to deal with all the sins of immorality. So a couple of weeks ago, I dealt with immorality outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage. Last week, avoiding immorality by sex in marriage. Um, and I, I'm really surprised at you, New Covenant, you're not inviting more folks. People show up for sex talks, man. You need to uh, be letting them know. This week, we're dealing with LGBT immorality, and it has also surprised me the number of people who've come up to me this week who have said, you know, I didn't know what that meant till I saw you were preaching on it. Well, if you've been with your head in the sand since the 90s, uh, let me just fill you in so you know what we're talking about. Since the 90s, it's the known term. It's in Wikipedia already, and you can look it up. LGBT stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender. And it refers to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender lifestyle or movement. Now, some of the more recent articles in the last year have added a Q to it, LGBTQ. And the Q, lo and behold, does stand for queer. When I was growing up, queer was a very negative term, and we would never be allowed to use it. But now it's being used as a very positive term. People applaud you, saying, yeah, that's who you are. So uh, that just tells you how far our culture has shifted since the early 90s uh, when these terms came about. I know there's a lot of variations of LGBT, and I'm not going to try to cover them all, and I'm not going to put the Q on the end and all the other things that, that are out there uh, because I, I just don't have time enough. But I did want to start with a couple examples that come out of New York City. No surprise there. Um, the New York City Mayor, Bill de Blasio, uh, this was a couple months back, he encouraged his city to boycott Chick-fil-A. And the reason is because he says he claimed there, speaking about Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A's anti-LGBT stance is bald-faced bullying, intolerance, and discrimination. Now, my goal is not to be any of those. I'm sure your goal is not to be any of those. I'm sure Chick-fil-A's goal is not to be bullying, intolerant, or discriminatory. But if you speak against LGBT, you are considered by the mayor of New York City and many, many, many more as bullying, intolerant, and discriminatory. I want, you want, Chick-fil-A wants everything to be said gently and in love, but there's a lot of people who don't think we are saying it that way. Second thing that happened with Mayor Bill de Blasio, I guess I'm pronouncing his name right, in May of this year, a list of 31 genders was approved by the New York City Commission on Human Rights. And the mayor published it. So he's, he signed it into law in New York. 
this is, this is not just his opinion. This is the New York City Commission on Human Rights published 31 genders. Now, I only know of two genders, male and female. But now in New York City, if you have a business, doesn't matter what the business is, and you refuse to refer to your personnel by one of these 31 genders, if they want to be referred to by one of these other than, if, in other words, you can't just call them Mr. and Mrs. anymore, or Mr. and Miss. If they come in and tell you another gender, you have to refer to them that way, or be fined by the New York Commission $250,000. I mean, basically we'll put you out of business. Uh, just because of a sin of omission, you fail to refer to them by the gender of their identity or their choice, and they've let you know. I mean, you, you can make a mistake, but if they've let you know it, and then you refuse, um, you can be fined. Some of the, the genders that were on the list were drag king, drag queen, Butch, Femme Queen. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Is that right? That's right. Femme Queen. Gender Fluid. Gender Blender. Gender Gifted. Gender Bender. Femme Person of Transgender Experience. You know, I can't call you Mr. I have to call you uh, excuse me, female person of transgender experience. John, could you do this for me? This is law. A few months ago in America, and also in New York, you know, it's been battled down here. The New Yorkers, according to Bill, the mayor, may also use the bathroom or locker room of their choice based on their gender identity without having to show proof or documentation. Well, that's what's going on in our world. It's very current, very relevant. And it's not just a worldly movement. The LGBT movement is very much a church movement as well. The Presbyterians, the Methodists, Episcopalians, and others have hired LGBT staff and support LGBT and believe those who don't join with them are intolerant, narrow-minded, bigoted, divisive, discriminatory, bullying. The list goes on. So um, we need to understand, well, what does the Bible say? Why all of this uproar? What, where did this movement come from? I want you to see, first of all, what the Scripture says about same-sex immorality. I believe it's immoral. They believe it's moral. I want you to see some of the different arguments. But first of all, the Scripture, and then we'll look at their arguments, and then I'll look at uh, some answers to the personal situations we have to address. Number one, biblical rationale for LGBT immorality. Look at Genesis 18. This is the beginning of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody's going to bring this up if you deal with this subject biblically. 
um, because this is a very widely known popular story. Genesis 18, beginning at verse 20, the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. This is God's word saying, beginning to tell Abraham here, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was a, it was a region, number of cities um, in that region, because their sin is exceedingly grave. Look over at chapter 19, verse 4, and you begin to see what the sin was. It says, Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, of all people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do not and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. So what's happening there is men of the city wanted to have sex with the men who came to Lot's house. Look down at verse 24, 25. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what uh, grew on the ground. So God not only destroyed the people, he destroyed the plants, he destroyed the territory, uh, wiped them out because of the sin of homosexuality. Uh, look at Leviticus 18, verse 22. Leviticus 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with an animal. Um, not too much of that's going on yet, but it may. Verse 24, do not defile yourself by any of these, for by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. Look at chapter 20 of Leviticus, verse 13. If, a ma if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman... Both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Now, I'm not making a lot of commentary because these are pretty clear passages. But note, because that will save me from having to come back here. Uh, a man lying with a man, so homosexuality, is uh, responded to clearly in Sodom and Gomorrah. Clearly, it's an abomination. And here, it's, it's an abomination worthy of the death penalty. And I'll come back to that, why that's significant. Um, look at Jude chapter 7. Jude chapter 7. Jude's the next to the last book of the Bible. It's hard to find, but go to Revelation. Just go backwards. You'll get it. Jude chapter 7. Excuse me, it's verse 7. It only has one chapter. Um, 
Jude 7, just as Sodom, so here's a commentary on Sodom and Gomorrah. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So here we have a commentary that homosexuality is a gross immoral activity. Continues to say, refer to as a more immoral activity that's going on. Um, and it's deserving of punishment. It's deserving of death. Here, it's deserving of hell. Um, this phrase, strange flesh, will come back up it's in this verse. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Here's perhaps the longest passage dealing with why all of this is happening. LGBT is not privilege, it's penalty. And a lot of people don't get that. This passage makes it clear. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. So it's a penalty. Wrath is poured out. The wrath of God, and we saw that in Ephesians 5, 5. The wrath of God's poured out on the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident with them, within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. <coughs> Even though they knew God, they did not honor God as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Two more passages. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. In verse 8, We know that the law is good. 
A lot of people forget that. You might want to circle that. God's law is good. It's not gone anywhere. Christ came to fulfill it. We still have it. It's still good. It's still holy. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. What's going on today is sound teaching. I'm speaking about what is contrary to sound teaching. Uh, one more passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Very important. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. One of my favorite verses, verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Well, um, a lot is said there in Scripture. Uh, I uh, read uh, several interviews of somebody I'm going to talk to about talk about in just a minute, saying there's just a handful of verses that say homosexuality is wrong. I consider what I just read more than just a handful of verses, and it's a pretty significant amount of Scripture, really, on this subject. And I didn't give it all to you. But I gave enough to you to, to see a consistency of God's will being against LGBT, against lesbian, women with women, men with men, any kind of transgender, transsexual, bisexual activity. We saw last week from the very creation of God, He created us male and female so that we could reflect, glorify Him through this male-female relationship and how significant that is which is why he's ordained sex in marriage, because it reflects his image, and you can't reflect his image with any of the LGBT relationships. You cannot glorify him there, and we looked at that. But then there's a lot of very specific verses that God puts out there for us, saying this is unnatural, this is strange, this is detestable, this is an abomination, it's deserving of eternal punishment. And the reason for all of that is because it's so contrary to his design, his intent for us when he made us male and female. Well, what do they say? I've had a neighbor who's a homosexual. I've had a neighbor who's a lesbian. I've had two best friends that are homosexuals. And I have spoken with all of them at length. Uh, these are folks who claim to be lovers of God, very committed to Christ, who know doctrine, who know their Bibles. And I've, I've gone to them and said, give me your absolute best 
arguments from Scripture that demonstrate why your behavior as a homosexual or a lesbian is, in your opinion, okay, godly, righteous. So they've given to me their arguments, and I've tried to summarize them for you in the four things. Number one, they say, uh, God's punished punish Sodom not for homosexuality. They're saying, David, you misread the passage. God did not punish Sodom because it, we can't rip it out of the Bible. We know that. But he didn't punish Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities for homosexuality. And I said, really? What did he punish them for? Punished them for inhospitality. And you can find this in numerous books. I've asked these same friends of mine, what are you reading? And they bring me a stack of books here. Uh, there were several uh, last uh, year came out of How to Be a Christian Homosexual. You can read these books, and these are not opinions. It, I mean, these, these are published widely that we, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of inhospitality. And where they get that from is Genesis chapter 19, verse 5. That's, I've already read it to you. I'll go back there and share with you the word. Um, Genesis 19, verse 5. Same passage you might use to say, Well, God destroyed uh, Sodom and Gomorrah for men having sex with men or wanting to. And obviously had, they had been doing it. Genesis 19, 5 says, And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may, and here's the key word, it's in Hebrews, yada, which is the word to know. And if you read much scripture, you know when God says uh, Abraham knew his wife, that word meant he had sex with his wife. And here's the word here saying, uh, bring them out so that we can know them. Know them? What do you mean know them? What well, means, my translation, have sex with, have relations with. They say that should be translated, the word yadah could be translated to make acquaintance with. So, dear Lot, we want you to bring the men that came to you out because we just want to make acquaintance with them. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, that word is used so many places. Go to Judges 19 where uh, they say, send your concubine out so that we can know her and they rape her all night long. They didn't want to make acquaintance with her. It's the same Hebrew word used to gang rape a girl all night long. And that's what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Men wanting to rape men. And the same word is used. The same word is used in the same passage where Lot says, uh, verse uh, 8, I'll send out my daughters so that you can yidah, have relations with them. That would at least be the right sexual context. He, he didn't say so that you can make an acquaintance with my daughters. We know that there's a sexuality issue going on here. And also, we know that if we take their translation, that it's about hospitality, then why did Lot get off the hook? Because Lot's the only one who refused. 
Lot was the one who said, no, I'm not going to let you make acquaintance. So Lot was the one who wasn't being hospitable to the men of the city. Uh, he was being very hospitable to the two men who came to town. They didn't choose to do that. He wasn't hospitable to them. And he's the only one, him and his daughters, who escaped judgment. So this whole hospitality translation idea doesn't flow out of Genesis 19. It just, it's not natural for it to come out there. But that's one of the arguments they make to say uh, God doesn't destroy people for homosexuality. That is not a sin in God's book. Second argument they make, that the passages I refer to, where it referred to strange flesh, the strange flesh, they say, is men wanting to have sex with angels. And angels would be strange flesh. Oh, so you do agree that they want to have sex now. Uh, I don't know that they've put the two together. But it's not with angels. Yes, the men who came to Lot, maybe they were angels, but it was referred to as men. Men of the city said, we want to talk to the men who came to you. So the whole Sodom and Gomorrah language, it's all men with men. You get in the book of Jude where that phrase is used, Jude 7, uh, strange flesh. It's, it's referring to something unnatural to God. The clearest passage on it is Romans 1. Verse 26 and 27, it says it's unnatural. And it makes it very clear what's unnatural is men with men and women with women. That's what God considers unnatural. That's what God considers strange. Uh, they want to say, no, it's, it's okay. What would be strange would be men with angels. That's not what God is condemning. Uh, number three. They also say the Old Testament laws. You remember I gave you the verses in Leviticus 18. That it's an abomination for men to have sex with men. They say, oh, that's Old Testament law. Yes, God condemned it in the Old Testament, but we are now no longer under law. We're under grace. Well, what do you do with that? Well, what they fail to realize is that there's a difference between ceremonial laws and moral laws. The ceremonial laws, you're right. They're right. They were done away with in the New Testament with Christ. All the Old Testament ceremonies that talked about cleansing, the need to be clean, the need to be sanctified, the needing to shed blood, sacrificial laws, shedding blood, all pointed to Christ. And when Christ shed his blood for us, died on the cross, he said, I did this once for all, so you never have to do this sacrificial stuff again. I am your sacrifice. So the sacrificial system, ceremonial laws are over. What Christ didn't say is that the moral law is also over. Rather, he said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish that. I came to fulfill it. I came to, came to live it. And you need to live it. So what is this? homosexuality condemnation is it ceremonial or is it moral I don't know of any context in which God says I need you to have I need, I need you not to have sex men with men because that's a ceremony or 
I don't know how you even put that in the context of a ceremony or a, a, a something ceremonial that will be done away with. Rather, it's clearly a moral law, which is why I said, re, remember the death penalty. What laws could you commit or could you break and have death penalty? Only moral laws. And moral laws, if, if you're guilty of moral laws, you can get the death penalty. You can get eternal punishment. But the moral laws are good for the Gentile community as well as the Jewish community. Sodom was not a Jewish town. That was a Gentile community. They didn't have to do any of the ceremonial laws there. But they are required to live under God's moral law. Just as all the world is. Moral law like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't fornicate, don't lie, don't steal. Don't, those are moral laws. And don't lie men with men, women with women, also moral laws laws so it's the whole uh, just misunderstanding of scripture oh, we're now under grace we're not under law don't let people deceive you and make you think oh oh so god's okay with uh, homosexuality now because that was an old testament prohibition i showed you enough verses in the new testament to see it's not just an old testament law it's god's moral design and desire for his creation from the beginning of time to the end. Then their fourth uh, argument is the word natural, because I keep bringing that up somewhat in Romans 1. This word natural, where it says, women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural, and men, this natural function, Romans 1, 26, 27, for something unnatural. Well, the way you under should understand that, David, I've been told, is... Natural refers to something natural to me or natural to you. And unnatural refers to something unnatural to me or unnatural to you. It would be unnatural for you to have sex as a man with a man because you have a wife. That, that would just be unnatural. But for me, if I'm a homosexual, it's very natural for me to have sex with another man because that's how I was born. That's natural. That's who I am. I am a man for a man, or I am a woman for a woman. And that's how they want to refer to that passage. I, I was born with these desires and feelings, same-sex desires and feelings, and it's very natural for me, it would be unnatural for me to desire a sexual relationship with the opposite sex. They obviously forget in this same passage that they're referring to Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. That is just foolish. God clearly designed the female for the male. Go back and read page 1. And it's unnatural for men to be with men and women to be with men and by God's design. Well, they make it subjective. They make it about themselves. <clears throat> How do we answer that? How do we deal with these people who come with books and arguments and their own interpretations of Scripture? Um, how do we deal with it? For the longest time, I thought, well, it's no big deal. It's just, it's not that many of them. Just don't worry about it. Well, I thought, stop to think about that this week, uh, preparing for you guys. Uh, 
I guess it's a liberal estimate that the LBGT movement's about 5% of our population. Used to be considered 1%. Now I think it's maybe up to 5%. We say, well, 5%, that's, that's nothing. Well, if we have about 320 million people in America, 5% is 16 million people. That's a lot of folks. So 5% may sound small, but 16 million means everyone in this room knows somebody. We know one of these. I, I know numerous people in this category and have had conversations with them and have counseled with them. Um, but I want to give you a present-day example before I talk about how to respond to them. I mean... Um, like I said, two of my best friends growing up, one mentored me a little bit uh, right after I got saved. Um, I mean, and you don't have but, you know, a handful of best friends. Two of them become homosexuals. Um, I want to respond to them right. I want to respond to them gently. I want to respond to them in love. I want to give them God's will I want to trust them. I want to believe them. I want to embrace them. I, I, my goal here, my desire is not to condemn and wipe out. So I, I, want, I want to bring you a, a current example that happened that you may have read it in the news. You may have seen it on talk shows or whatever. This year, Trey Pearson, he's the lead singer for the Christian rock group Everyday Sunday. He came out as gay, and I don't know if you... Not the most popular Christian singer in the world, but he's toured all 50 states, very popular, been doing Christian music all his life. Um, he's sung in major rock uh, venues before some of the biggest groups. Perhaps, um, uh, I was trying to think his uh, most popular song, uh, Best Night of Your Life. Uh, best Night of Your Lives, I think, was one that uh, we've, it's probably been sung here at least once. Um, but he came out as gay. Uh, other people like him, Ray Bolts, Anthony Williams, Jennifer Nipp, Vicki Beechin, uh, Christian artists that some of you have grown up listening to have come out as gay. He was one who put a letter on Facebook for all of his fans. Um, and I want to read you part of his letter because... He says it well. He says this. He says, I grew up a very conservative, in a very conservative Christian home where I was taught that my sexual orientation was a matter of choice. Uh, I never wanted to be gay. I was scared of what God would think and what all of these people I loved would think about me. So it was never an option for me. I've been suppressing these attractions and feelings since adolescence. I've tried my whole life to be straight. I married a girl, and I even have two beautiful little kids. My daughter Liv is six. My son Beckham is two. But I've also come to realize a lot of time has passed in my life, pushing away, blocking out, and not dealing with real feelings going on inside of me. I have tried not to be gay for more than 20 years of my life. When Lauren and I got married... I committed to loving her to the best of my ability. And I had the full intention of spending the rest of my life with her. 
Despite our best efforts, however, I've come to accept that there's nothing that's going to change who I am. By the way, when I read that, I said, wait, you didn't tell me enough. You had the full intention of spending the rest of my life with her. Does that mean you're not with her now? So I, I googled, you know, what's going on with Trey Pearson. Um, he has dissolved his relationship with his wife, uh, divorced so that he can begun dating men. Obviously, he's never heard of Malachi 2 that says, don't treat the wife of your youth treacherously and do such a thing. Break the covenant and the promise. And God hates divorce. But anyway... The Christian community is supposed to just embrace this and accept this. He goes on. I have progressed so much in my faith. Catch that. I have progressed so much in my faith over these last several years. I think I need to be able to affirm. By the way, I Google this church too. I mentioned earlier, Presbyterians, the Methodists, Episcopalian. He's Wesleyan. The Methodists, Wesleyan's pulled out of uh, that. But he says his denomination is starting to embrace him now. The Wesleyans were much more conservative than the Methodists, but that's where he is. I'm not condemning the whole denomination, just saying that's where he's at. I have progressed so much in my faith over these last several years. I think I need to be able to affirm other gay people before I could ever accept it for myself. Likewise, I couldn't expect others to accept me how I am until I could come to terms with it first. I know I have a long way to go, but if dishonesty with myself about who I am and who I was made by God to be, doesn't constitute as the peace that passes all understanding, then I don't know what does. It's like this weight I've been carrying my whole life has been lifted for me, and I've never felt such freedom. In sharing this publicly, I am taking another step into health and wholeness by accepting myself and every part of me. It's not only an idea for me that I'm gay, it's my life. This is me being authentic and real with myself and other people. This is part of who I am. I'm a guy with the same heart who wants to love God and love people with everything I have. I trust God to help love do the rest. Trey. Well, I wanted you to hear his words because he really says it well. I'm a lover of God. I'm more in love with God now than ever. Um, I'm a follower. I'm taking next steps. I'm authentic. I'm real. I'm whole. I'm more healthy now than ever before. My faith is growing leaps and bounds. I mean, that's what the gay, or that's what the LGBT folks are saying. So we're not getting conversation from them that just sounds off the wall. We're getting conversation with them, to me, that is badly, they have been badly misled and subtly deceived. How do we respond to those people? Because some of those people in this room, I've had two best friends and two neighbors. Some of you have had a wife that's gone LGBT. Some of you have had a husband. Some of you have had a brother or a sister, a son or daughter. I mean, that's even closer. This Trey Pearson had a wife and two kids that he now sees them only on weekends and eats a meal with so that he can go date men. That's, that's extremely difficult 
first question that comes to me there is, will LGBT, and I put in quotes, lovers of God inherit heaven? Will the LGBT lovers of God inherit heaven? Here's the answer, no. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. My answer is not absolutely it's in that condition, the answer is no. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Catch the last phrase. Because this is, describes them. You who practice lawlessness. You want to say you're under grace. You don't even have to practice the law anymore. But because you don't practice the law, I don't know you. You're not one who inherits heaven. We must realize that. They are deceived, trying to do away with the law of God. Look at John 14, verse 15. Clear language from Jesus. John 14, verse 15. There is law condemning homosexuality. God's law. Jesus says there are commandments. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, see, I'm a lover of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Also, very plain, no gray area here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. So I'm a lover of God. Well, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. He's not asking you to do something that's hard. Look at chapter 2, verse 4, 1 John. It says, but the one who says, I have come to know Him. I know Jesus and I love Him. But does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. First um, Corinthians chapter six, again, verses nine through eleven. Don't miss very clear teaching from Christ. New Testament teaching. First Corinthians six, nine. Do you not know the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God? And in that list are homosexuals. So will lovers of God, LGBT, lovers of God, inherit heaven? The answer is no. They will not. That's extremely sad. But that's the truth. That's God's word. That's not strange doctrine. That's Christ's doctrine. That's the word of God. We must hold that truth to them, they say, "Yeah, but I, I, you could just look at me. I, I love God. I, I sing for Him. I write songs for Him. I pray to Him. I talk like a Christian. I look like a Christian. I sing like a Christian. I pray like a Christian. Yes, but you do not have sex like a Christian. You're lawless. You break the law of God, and you will not." inherit the kingdom 
of heaven as a lover of homosexuality. Second, we need to know and respond. How should we respond to our LGBT family and friends? So they're in that condition. We know now they're not going to heaven. How should we respond to them? We should trust them. We should embrace them. We should love them. We should pray for them. We should weep, seeking to do everything in our ability to show them the truth of God because this is a heaven-hell matter. This is not something to joke about. This is something where their eternal state is at stake. So if there's anybody we should love, it's these folks because it's clear where these folks are headed. And if we want to be winsome, if we want to see people saved from hell, then here's people that are going there unless they get saved. So by all means, we should love them and be kind to them and treat them gently. Uh, Romans chapter 2 says, It's the loving kindness of God that leads them to repentance. Loving kindness of God that leads them to repentance. Verses 1 through 4. So yes, our First Timothy, I'm skipping some verses just for time. First Timothy 2, 22 through 26 says, Respond to people with kindness and gentleness, so perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they will turn from their sin and turn to God. Um, we must let them see, yeah, I know this is who you feel you are, but your feelings do not determine morality. It's God's law that determines morality, not feelings. They think their feelings determine what's right for them. No, it's God's law that determines what's right for all his creatures. Good, bad, short, tall, whatever. God determines his creation uh, standards, and we must submit to that. Um, it's sad when anybody, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 24 says, let me read that. It's such a powerful passage. It's what's happening in our day. Isaiah chapter 5, God, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We'll jump down to verse 24. Therefore, a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot, their blossom blow away as dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Uh, we must respond to the lawless with the law, not with feelings, so that they understand their uh, sins of omission and commission. Number three, is there any hope for LGBT? Is there any hope? Uh, Yes, there's hope. Good news, there's hope. Uh, The hope is not that they would be born differently. They were born in sin. The hope is not, uh, they're not hopeless, I guess say that another way, they're not hopeless because they're sinners. They're hopeless 
because they don't see it, but they're hopeless because they're without Christ. They're without God in this world. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I've already covered this um, in previous sermons, but very important passage to kind of remember we, we miss this sometimes and say, oh, so my condition's hopeless. No, no, no. Go back. Ephesians 2. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Yes, you are separate. Yes, you are excluded. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Why? Because you're without God in the world. They're not hopeless because they're in sin. They're hopeless because they are without God. They don't just need to turn from sin. I'm not mad at them because they're in sin. I'm concerned about them because they're not with Christ. Yes, they need to turn from sin, but they need to turn to Christ. They need to turn to God. That's their only hope. Their hope is not to get married and have straight sex. Their hope is in coming to Christ and being subdued to His reign under His law, under His will, living life as Christ has designed it. Uh, 1 Corinthians again, 6, verse 9 through 11. Is there any hope? Uh, yeah, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 again. Don't miss this. I said it's one of my favorite verses. Um, he says, verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus. Some of you were homosexuals before Christ changed you. Thousands of homosexuals, lesbians, transgender, whatever, LGBTs, have been saved. There's hope that thousands more could be saved. So you're not hopeless. What is needed is Christ to wash you, to sanctify you, to set you apart, to justify you, to change you in His righteousness. There is hope. Uh, and I hope you find it. Number four, our LGBT desires a force beyond our control. Uh, Trey Pearson, one of his, I go, was uh, listening to him on The View, that talk, the talk show, The View, the women around the, the square circle there. Well, they, they invite Trey Pearson on because one of their members on The View is LGBT, and she just loved the fact we got this Christian LGBT guy out. He's popular. Bring him on, interview him. Um, and, you know, how do people respond? And he said, well, I grew up in this church where people said LGBT or homosexuality was all a choice. And I would be sinful for making the choice. And I finally realized it wasn't a choice. That's just who I am. This is the way I was made. So literally what he's saying is it's beyond my control. It's God's fault. God made me this way. So the, my question is, are LGBT desires a force beyond our control? And my answer is, yes. They are. You are born in sin, and you can't help it. I get that. God gets that. Ever since Adam and Eve... We have been born in a condition that is beyond our control. We were born sinners. 
He's been in the wrong church circles in the sense he's thinking everything's just a matter of choice. No, it's not. There's things you don't get to choose. You don't get to choose whether you're born a male or a female. You don't get to choose to not be born in sin. You are born this way. But look at Ephesians 2. Uh, and it explains this uh, so wonderful. Uh, our need and our birth condition. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yes, you're stuck. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So are you under God's wrath, about to go to hell, because you were born that way? Yes! Absolutely. And people say, wait, that, that doesn't seem right. That's the way we were born. But, verse 4, what's our hope? Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. And you put anything else there and you won't. Hopeless, born that way, going to hell. Even when we were in that condition, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Hallelujah. Christ doesn't just save us from actual sins, our choices. Christ saves us from original sin. And that apparently is something the world doesn't get, and apparently it's something most of the church doesn't get. We were born with original sin. And the glorious news is that Christ takes us in that dead, original sin and redeems us. Those who are unredeemable by any choice. Which is why the scripture never records one instance of somebody walking an aisle, praying the sinner's prayer. The sinner, why is the sinner's prayer not in the Bible? Because the sinner's prayer won't do you any good. Why does God not say, raise your hand so that you can be saved? Why does God not say, take next steps to Jesus? He doesn't say that because that won't do a thing for original sin. You were born this way. And your only hope is that Christ gives you a new birth. He must take what is dead and make it alive together with Christ by grace. That's the only thing that saves. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that's what our world hopelessly misses, desperately misses. Um, that all sin is beyond our control. And until I am set apart in Christ and then filled with His Spirit, I will never say no to it. Never. I will eventually always fall prey to it. But once I have been filled, Romans 8, with the Spirit of God, I can say no to sin, I can say yes to Jesus, I am adopted and I can walk in His righteousness. And no immorality can be named among us. And that's where God's taking His church, the true church. So let us understand it. 
It is a force beyond our control. Our only hope is Jesus. It's not some therapy or some treatment center. Then number five, what if we have not adopted the LBGT lifestyle but have same-sex attractions? What, what are we to do? People in this room, I'm sure you're saying, oh, David, this is scary tough to me because I feel it. I feel like I need to be a homosexual. I feel like I need to be a lesbian. I feel like I need to go transgender. I just feel it. I've, I've had these cravings all my life. What do I do with the same sex attractions? Let me tell it to you. First, First Corinthians 10, you know this verse, 31. Whether you eat or drink, do what? Do all to the glory of God. God didn't say your goal in life was to be true to your feelings. He didn't say whether you eat or drink, just make sure you're true to your feelings. Just make sure you carry out your desires. Because that's what it's all about, being real, being authentic with what you feel. That is not your goal in life. Your goal in life is to glorify God because He created you. And he gives you redemption in Christ. It's not to be real and authentic with your feelings and desires. Let me give you another passage of Scripture. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. One of the first ones I memorized, but I want you to have it. <clears throat> so basic. Jesus' words, he was saying to them all, he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, if any, you see, you want to be a follower of Christ, if anyone wishes to come after me, be true to himself, be true to his desires, do the what is consistent with the way he was born, and you'll go to heaven. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. If anyone wishes, do you want to follow Jesus? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. It doesn't say he must be true to himself. It doesn't say he must be consistent with who he is. This is who I am. It doesn't say that. If you are a follower of Christ, you will deny yourself. Oh, that would be hard. Yes, and take up that hard cross and follow him. If you don't have that memorized, memorize. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. So we need to be very clear. If you've got these, these evil, abominable, sinful attractions desires. Deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it. How can I do that? Only with the filling of the Holy Spirit. I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. I mean, I feel like killing myself sometimes, don't you? That's a bad desire. I needed to deny that. Why? Because murder is wrong, and it destroys the reflection of the image of God He's put in me. The same thing is true with homosexuality. I may feel like that, but I need to deny it because it's wrong. It is an abomination. It destroys the reflection of the image of God He puts in us. It's no different. We've made this to be some sort of tolerable sin instead of seeing it to be the abominable sin one of the abominable sins that God has in His Word. Avoid the taste of sin. Avoid it. 
Don't be true to self. Deny self. Take up your cross and follow Christ. God changes hearts. He changes lives. There's a lot of saints here who have been changed from sinners to saints. I didn't realize I was going to take so much time, and I got such a good revelation message later, so i got to get going. Um, I hope this helps you because, quite frankly, I don't know where else you're going to get it. I don't hear it unless you're reading your Word, unless you're studying the Scriptures. Um, I've started to think, you know, I've, I've said many times, New Covenant School is not an alternative school. It's a Christian school. It's a covenantal school. You choose it out of convictions. I'm to the place now saying, New Covenant Church is not an alternative church. This is New Covenant, baby. We get into the Word and we take it seriously. And if our denomination or the rest of the church wants to go the way of the world, we're going to be different. We're going to be the light of the world. We're going to follow the laws of God. We want to be subdued under them. And we want God to change us. And we want to do it all in love, compassion. But that doesn't mean throwing out the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we're living in tough, immoral times that could literally cause the destruction of us as a country. We've seen nations wiped out before us before. And so this is not hypothetical. This is real. Lord, let us understand it. Let us embrace your truth. We pray for our nation that you would raise up godly leadership. For righteousness exalts a nation, but unrighteousness brings it down. And Lord, we pray for our church, universal elders and deacons and leaders, that we would be cleansed of unrighteousness and that you would raise up for us godly leaders consistent with your truth to again lead the church into righteousness. Father, all of us here, we've had unnatural thoughts. We've had unnatural desires. We've had sin ooze out of us. Cleanse us, please. Take away the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run fast after Jesus, enabled by your Spirit. Lord, let our eyes be fixed upon it that we may be like him. Let us deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.